distant land. I, Aku, the shape-shifting master of darkness, unleashed an unspeakable evil. But a foolish samurai warrior wielding a magic sword stepped forth to oppose Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of everyone else at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil. And I'm one of your hosts, DM Mitch. And for this episode, DM Mitch had messaged me on one of the social medias i don't even remember which at this point but he asked if i was interested in samurai jack and to say i responded with excitement would probably be quite the understatement i think i used quite a few capital letters and exclamation points about how excited i was as you should be because samurai jack is awesome and so today we are going to look at the first season of Samurai Jack. There will be tons of spoilers ahead. We will basically be breaking down the entire first season of the show and talking about what inspiration we got from the show. So if you have not seen Samurai Jack and you would like to before you listen to the show, then absolutely go do so and then come back because Samurai Jack is awesome. If you are right now listening and just like with our magic episode or our Adventure Time episode, you are like, no, I don't like Samurai Jack. I don't want to go watch Samurai Jack. That sounds awful. I would still say... You should listen because we've got a lot of great things that we pull from the show and you don't even need to like the show because they're just great ideas that you can throw into a D&D game anytime. But before we jump into our discussion about Samurai Jack and the inspiration that we gleaned from that first season of this awesome show, Neil, we have some five star reviews. For the first one, it's from Drew P underscore 85. And his review is titled, Fantastic and Inspiring Resource. Recently gotten into role-playing through other podcasts that were mostly people playing, but have had trouble figuring out how to DM, which is is a must considering I don't know anyone living nearby that knows how to DM either. (laughs) I feel like that's the classic story on why we we end up as DMs. The podcast has not only taught me a tremendous amount on DMing, but also countless clever ideas that I've either used for inspiration or straight straight up stolen for my new campaign. Great podcast for any DM. A must listen. Thank you, Drew P. Yeah. Our next review is from Not The Only Justin and is entitled, I Will Never Have DM Writer's Block Again, five stars. I've been listening a while now, and this is a constant flow of inspiration. Would recommend for anyone wanting to take their game to the next level. The world of Somnium and the Crimson Shield cannot thank you enough for the awesome material. So thank you so much, not the only Justin. We really appreciate that review. So the next one is from Solar Asian, entitled Exactly What I Was Looking For. I'm a new DM, but I've been playing for several years. This is a great podcast for advice for DMs of any experience. The hosts are informational and give great examples. This podcast has been helpful for me in running my first campaign. Thank you, Solar Agent, and that's awesome because you just started DMing. And uh, if we can inspire people to DM, that is better than any five-star review. Yes. But we won't know unless you give us a five-star review. That's what we're here for, to help you DM, and we're glad that we are doing that. Our next review comes from Seven Nomad and is entitled Brilliant, Entertaining, Educational, and Just Plain Old Fun. Five stars. What these guys have accomplished in such a short time is spectacular. I have wanted to DM a game for quite some time, but not wanting to do a stock module just didn't know where to start. This awesome podcast has helped me wrangle my ideas into a cohesive story that has a beginning and an end. I've been binge listening to this podcast over the last few weeks and hate to say that I'm sad that I am nearly caught up to current. However, when that happens, I'll start at the beginning. This guy's awesome. So I can continue to pull every nugget from this as possible. There is so much information and inspiration that there is no way you'll get 
it all the first pass. I am currently working on a completely new setting for my campaign, and it feels like every episode is exactly what I need for the next step. Every DM needs to listen to this, period. I know that I am a better player, and I know that I will be a better DM because of this podcast. Thank you for being so passionate about what goes into every episode. Man, thank you so much, Seven Nomad. Yeah, that's that's, awesome. that's a great review. We really, really, really appreciate that. And man, to listen to our podcast over again, that's hats off to you, our friend. Hats off. Yes. <laughs> I hope you listen to it at a, a faster than normal speed if you're going to try and backtrack through all of them. But Double the speed. Not, we hey. sound like Alvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> anyway, we are going to be heading on, Neil, up that mountain to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? Carving up! Just a mouthful! No! The flat meat back on the menu, boys! So, for this episode's meat, we are going to be talking, like we said, about the show Samurai Jack. And I think part of the reason why I wanted to talk about Samurai Jack was because if you don't know and you did love this show, you might not be aware, but they're bringing this show back in 2016 this year on Adult Swim, which means that the action is going to be even more amazing. I'm so pumped for this. So I was like, oh, we need to get on this so that when that show comes out, when 2016 Samurai Jack comes out. We can talk about that on the podcast. So I'm so excited. (laughs) So Neil, we're going to talk about pretty much almost every episode of this show and the inspiration that we got from it. You're going to tell us about the first, we're going to break down the first three episodes. Yes. First. Yes. And the first three episodes kind of give us a little bit of a, if you don't know what Samurai Jack is, it kind of sets the stage for us. So Tell us about episodes one, two, and three. Sounds good. They were actually presented originally as a movie, the premiere movie. So part one is entitled The Beginning. Part two is The Samurai Called Jack. And part three is The First Fight. For part one, I'm just going to read the description as I have found them on Wikipedia to give us like a little little tidbit and then we can go into the <laughs> inspiration that we pulled from them but aku devastates a young boy's land forcing him to travel around the world to train as a samurai when he returns as an adult and attempts to defeat aku the wizard sends him into the future so then for part two after aku flings him into the future the samurai is called jack by the locals and he meets a group of archaeologist dogs who've been forced by aku to dig for jewels that would increase the wizard's power and part three the first fight with the help of archaeologist dogs which is i feel like i'm doing a great job saying that with a straight face jack (laughs) battles aku's army of beetle drones so i think laying the foundation for the story is super important because this does such a great example of how you could set up your own campaign. Ooh, yeah, that's good. I wasn't even thinking about that. Like, uh, yeah, so what do you mean by that, Neil? Okay, so the show starts out essentially with, kind of complicated, but Aku's origin story as well as his rebirth story. I mean, you you see his rebirth from a visual perspective and there's a lunar eclipse and he comes out of the earth At the same time, there's dialogue from Samurai Jack's father about the original time that Aku had shown up and defeated. So if the listeners don't know, Aku is, I would say he's a wizard, but at the same time, he is a demon. (laughs) Yeah. He is the personification of all things evil in the world, and he can also shapeshift. So he's not like a human. He is like, he doesn't look like a human. He's... Very creepy looking, but so yeah, that's who Aku is. Yeah, I think the term they used inside the episode was born of pure hatred. Yeah. Yeah, creepy. So I know I rewatched the entire season to prepare myself. <laughs> as Same. It, super hard work I had to put in. <laughs> but that first that first time he turns around was so creepy and so good. Mm-hmm. I thought it was also awesome to see Samurai Jack train with all of the people of the world. Yes, that was one of the things that I thought would be fantastic 
to pull into a D&D campaign. So like to set the stage, Aku comes back and Jack's dad sends him off to train with every nation's like greatest warrior, basically. So we have this like and that this is the beauty of this show is that we can go and they can make a show. And for 20 minutes, there's no talking. (laughs) It's just straight like music and watching like events happen. And it's just brilliant and entertaining. And so we get this montage of Jack as he's a little boy and he goes off and I think he he first goes to like Egypt and he learns how to like ride on camels and horses. And then he goes to like Africa and he learns how to fight with a staff. We see him go to like, he's on the sea with Vikings yes. and like these crazy Vikings. And he's learning how to like navigate a boat uh, with these like absolutely crazy looking Vikings that are just like all war driven as well. He goes around the world to all these different places and then eventually returns home and he learns a lot of the ways of the samurai and then finally he meets back up with his father and he tries to defeat Aku again get sent into the future which kind of starts the whole show but this moment of watching him go and train through all of these great masters I'm like that's fantastic and I would love to put that into a D&D campaign if like you set up your story that there is an evil that must be destroyed in the world but almost setting it up like even though your players characters might think they're awesome like you have Maybe maybe you've given them a master or maybe their master is like in Samurai Jack, their father, and they want to defeat this evil. But perhaps you tell them you're not ready, but you can be ready, but it's going to take a lot of time and training. And we see Jack grow old in this. And I thought that would be fantastic to have a series of masters that trains you, whether you, you know, this actually becomes a huge part of the campaign or one single night where you're going throughout the years and learning all these different skills. And maybe with each new master, you give your player characters like a different skill that they can learn. I was like, that'd be fantastic for a campaign. And it would also give you an opportunity as a DM if you you've made a homebrew world to introduce a little bit of each of the different countries and the cultures that you have throughout your world in one single campaign. Yeah. The one that was a little out there that I loved the most was when he started training archery with Robin Hood. It didn't oh, make that's a, so great. It didn't make a lot of sense, but I was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, I think and it came up recently in an article on tribality where using training as a reward. And I know yeah. I had recently implemented that kind of thing as well in my own game. So I guess this example is piecemealing it down where I have in the town that my players go most frequently, they have a person they interact with. That is the one who trains them. Hmm. So yeah, definitely introducing more training into your game would be a lot of fun. And like you had mentioned, I love the idea of using that as a segue to years in the future. I think that's an awesome idea. Yeah, I, you know, I don't think a lot of people do this when they DM. They do a very linear timeline, but there is absolutely nothing wrong with coming to a point and being like, and your characters go off and train and we come back a year later or five years later or 20 years later or in in one single night, like role playing a couple years and getting through a couple of years to get to a point where your characters are severely different. I know in like old versions of D&D, I don't think there's anything in 5e for this but you were only quote unquote because the rules are all guidelines but you were only quote unquote allowed to level up like once every night and so like that would be kind of a way to stop the progression of your character and make it a quote unquote slower process even though i've done plenty of campaigns where it was much more than a night that it took for you to level up but like there is nothing wrong with going if this suits your story and you want to get your characters to a point where they're able to fight something crazy. There's nothing wrong with going and we'll role play through this and you go through training and you know what? Level up three times because you went to train with some of the craziest masters in the yeah. world and we've already we've skipped through a couple of years now. But I think that's a great storytelling device that mechanically can do something for your characters as well. Yeah, I like that a lot. Then you have the wonderful time travel element that i don't know (laughs) i don't know that that works for actual time travel i don't know that it works well for a campaign but it could work amazingly well if you want to shift what your players think about the world 
use time travel where essentially the entire group is forced thousands of years in the future and it's entirely up to you what happened in those thousand years and time i mean time travel can totally fit into a D&D campaign. If you want a really good example of this, and I know I talked about this when he came on the show, but Michael from the RPG Academy, like the first actual play that I actually listened to was his Made Men campaign. And he put time travel in there as a way that he brought his... And this is very heavily a theme in Samurai Jack, but they were strangers in a strange land. Even though that land is the land that he came from, it's completely different because of time travel. And like, go and listen to the Made Men campaigns because they are awesome. Michael, when he was on, was like, no, don't tell him to do that because the audio quality is awful. It's okay. They're, the content holds up. It is fantastic but yeah I, I like that time travel aspect and that sets up the whole story of samurai jack right gotta get back back to the past samurai jack <laughs> watch out jack 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 yes oh, that's <laughs> awesome the other thing that him going into the future aku has been in charge of the world ruling it oh with an iron fist for all these years so samurai jack is also a fantastic example of post-apocalyptic really is the only way to yeah. describe it because you've had this super crazy demon wizard warlord ruling the world and essentially everyone's oppressed so it, it just feels very very post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. well even i mean he's gone as, and this is something that i wanted to key in on too is one of the inspirations that i got from this was aku being this ruler of all of the earth and beyond because we see him not just as the ruler of the earth, but he's reached out into the corners of the galaxy. And that's where a lot of these strange creatures that we see in the future on earth come from is there come from different galaxies and different planets because Aku's evil has stretched out there. And he's not only the ruler of earth, but he's the ruler of other planets as well. Or at the very least, he's done something to like harm that planet to make it so their only actual way of existing anymore is to come to Earth to live and then live under Aku's reign. Like we see that with Aku with all of the water people in the second episode where they come to him and they're like, please let us live on your planet. The ocean's like, it's the only way that we're going to survive. And Aku tells them that they can live in the oceans of Aku because he's named them the oceans of Aku if they erect giant monuments to Aku every month that come out of the ocean floor and like they break the surface and just come up. And I'm just like, this is an evil ruler that believes that he is entitled to everything. And I love that idea of just an evil, evil tyrant that nothing like nothing quenches his thirst for more power and, and more basically slaves and more lands to conquer. It's almost like he's doing it to to bide his time, which is the weird, right? <laughs> which is the weirdest thing to wait for Jack to come back. But yep, like he's bored. Yeah. So the other thing was in the first fight that happens in the third episode is that it's a super good example of how to do mass combat and have your players figure out how to fight a battle on an epic scale while still being just individuals. So, and then going through those planning stages and doing everything like that. I mean, because Jack is amazing. So he's a perfect, he's a great tactician. So you, he lays out the battle plans before you and having that be a bottle episode, it would be yeah. super fun. One thing we haven't talked about too, that comes out of the first episode that this is something that is prevalent the entire show, but Jack's sword Jack's sword is the sword handed down to him from his father. We know there's a magical element to the sword. We don't really get much more information from that. But this sword is, from what I gather, really the only way that Aku is going to be destroyed. And that doesn't even change when Jack goes however many years into the future that he gets sent like even with all the technology and all this time that Aku's had to become more powerful the sword is still his weakness this ancient weapon from a time long before he doesn't have now armor that can protect himself from it no he is still vulnerable to this sword and I absolutely love weapons and items that are 
for an entire campaign like prevalent. <laughs> like I we, yeah. we had a mailbag recently where somebody wrote in. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting who it was, but they wrote in about making items campaign items and making an item that would stick with the characters the entire campaign and like giving them upgrades and whatnot and i think that's just such a brilliant idea and it brings in such a focus on a weapon like jack's sword and like this sword jack's never going to replace this sword with something else because this is the sword that he needs to beat aku and that is something i think we could put into our DD campaigns a weapon that your players are going to hold on to for the rest of the campaign. And I mean, with D&D, it's a little bit more difficult because it's all about mechanics and you don't start off at the level of a PC that Samurai Jack would start off at, right? Like you pretty much start episode one and you're like, yeah, this guy's level 20. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like after all that training, like he's level 20 and he just stays at like epic level for the rest of the show. Like that's part of the cool aspect of samurai jack is the way that he just beats down his enemies but you can have an item that you upgrade along the way that it keeps its potency and it keeps its importance to your characters and where we don't get this with samurai jack's sword it's just his sword naming it is always a cool thing as well yeah and i like it because you're essentially carrying around a plot device the entire time oh absolutely tapping into whenever you need to yeah so for the next episode, it was number four, and it was Jack, the Woolies, and the Critchelites. And essentially, the Woolies are oppressed by the evil Critchelites. And, of course, Jack sees fit to undo that. Yes. But that's that, I think, is the interesting thing where I drew inspiration from this episode. Because in this episode, these Woolies, they look... Uh, like a, how do you, would you explain them? They look like a woolly mammoth without tusks and a trunk, basically. And these critchelites who look like little blue aliens, because I think that's exactly what they are. Mm-hmm. These critchelites are enslaving these woolies. And the first impression we get of these woolies is that they're dumb beasts. Like they are, they walk on all, yeah. all fours. They're like, they're animals. And so Jack sees them being mistreated and he still feels bad for them because he thinks of, at one point the critchelites say it's no, we treat them no worse than you humans treat your horses. And I think that kind of makes Jack think, no, I treat my horse well. Like, I don't treat my horse like you guys treat these creatures, these woolies. And so he approaches them and then finds out that they actually speak and that they are intelligent creatures. And so this goes from a instance of animal cruelty to like complete slavery of an entire race of what were really a quite smart group of people. And now they're enslaved with these devices that basically make them completely docile and not able to fight back. And Jack wants to turn that on the head and let these creatures free. That would be a great adventure for a campaign where you think that this group of people are mistreating animals. And then you find out that these animals actually are intelligent creatures. And just the like, oh my gosh moment of this is way worse than I thought this was. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to get like some buy-in is essentially you've escalated it a lot because it was, well, depending on the people. I mean, some of it is that, of course, it's bad, but then to find out that it is now the oppression of these people that are intelligent, that could be have their own society and do all the kinds of things like that just escalates it through the roof, in my opinion. And then it also leaves you with some awesome NPCs that they can interact with after. Yeah, the Woolies as a race are a cool, cool thing. In fact, they have like this leader that is this huge, huge Woolly with like glowing eyes and his hair is like longer and curls up into locks and like he's basically the the sage, the wise man of all the woolies and he gives jack this vision back into the past to see how the critchelites have like enslaved them and see how far this oppression has gone and just to look at the woolies as a race to get inspired from is a cool thing and that sage that wise man that chief of the woolies very very cool so for number five it's entitled (laughs) jack in space we'll be honest we don't really have anything specifically that we 
me and Neil talked about, and we both didn't really get a lot of inspiration from this one. That's not to say that inspiration can't be gleaned from this one, but it is a very different episode where Jack goes to space, and it's it's weird. I think me and Neil both said, yeah, this episode was never really one of our favorites. So not an episode that we're going to particularly talk about, but we would love to hear your ideas if episode five is one of your favorites and you got a lot of ideas from it. But with that, Neil, let's talk about episode six. It, which is entitled Jack and the Warrior Woman. A mysterious female warrior joins Jack in his quest, but Jack isn't certain she is really an ally. Dun, dun, dun. So what, what did you glean from this episode that could be inspiring to... D- a DM who's trying to make a awesome campaign. I think adding in, I know we don't do it a lot as DMs. Well, let's back up. I know I don't do it a lot as a DM because it's a lot more work, but adding in an NPC that goes alongside of the characters is a lot. It can help keep things flowing. And also to, if you turn the NPC into a bad person halfway through, <laughs> it also adds for a lot of intrigue in your campaign. Absolutely. Yeah, I really like the idea of the NPC that, I mean, this is one episode where Jack like has these adventures with this woman and he's like, this woman is awesome. She's like a great warrior. He thinks she's noble. And at the end finds out it's his worst enemy, Aku, who has been tricking him all this time to get to the point where Jack was trying to find this jewel. And he wants to destroy this jewel that can grant you wishes. But like, I love this idea of a friend that's actually a foe. I think that would be even better implemented in D and D if it was for like an entire campaign, like late in the game, you find out that this was an actual foe, whether that is a spy, maybe they're a spy for a evil NPC in your world that you're trying to defeat and the person that you think is on your side from the beginning is actually a spy for them like that would be a moment where your PCs are going to be like what (laughs) and and probably be pretty angry but um, like emotions even if it's directed at you that anger hopefully they kind of even out and they're like no that was good i'm just really into your campaign and your care and my character and but wow that was good you got us but i like that idea a lot the friend that's actually a foe and betrayal and and everybody who listens to this podcast knows that i love tragedy and in role-playing games and those are things that i'm going to grasp onto but <laughs> I was just thinking, because you had a player switch and then move over yeah. to the other side yeah. of the screen, right? Yep. I actually had a an actual player betray the group at one time. It was kind of something we worked out together, but they came onto the my side and it was revealed that they were actually evil and on the side of Yanogu, the evil god of gnolls. And oh, it was definitely that moment where... There were a lot of angry faces towards me, but now all of our players look back on that with just like, that was one of the greatest experiences we had in D&D. Like, that was fantastic. But it was also a very felt <laughs> moment, but it was it was still sweet. And I like that idea of friend that's actually a foe. I like also in this episode, there's the jewel that they get at the end that... It's this jewel that can grant wishes. But in the end, what actually happens is the jewel tests Jack and this woman who's actually a coup. And you have to be of pure heart to use the jewel to be granted a wish. And of course, because Zaku, the jewel deems them not worthy. And the jewel turns into a large, I would call it a gin with like eight arms, I think. And like all these swords and the jewel was like on his forehead as like a decorative jewel. And so Aku ends up like beating this guy. Aku and Jack have to fight this big gin boss. And then Aku reveals himself when he breaks the jewel, but it is a sweet boss. Like this boss that protects this jewel that has a wish. And obviously being a gin, it totally makes sense with the fact that this jewel grants wishes, but the six armed giant gin in the middle of an oasis in the desert is a fantastic, fantastic boss 
that you would have to beat this djinn in order to get this jewel that can grant you a wish. That'd be a great boss fight. This episode also had a lot of great examples of desert dangers. Like there's that another one of those scenes where there's no talking. It's just music and Aku disguises the warrior woman and Jack going through the desert and having to face off all these creatures and quicksand and mirages and all this kind of crazy stuff. We're about halfway through. So I guess this would be a good point. I, I don't know why I didn't bring it up earlier, but like, seeing the pieces without any descriptions are great examples of how you could describe things to your players. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not, anyway, it's not sitting there talking over it. It's not describing it to you. It's letting you draw that inspiration and be able to explain like, what would it be like if you went through a desert? So I think, yeah, if nothing else, you can definitely use the entire series on how to explain visually what your players would be seeing yeah in the whole entire series it's very good about those montages where we see jack going through different areas of the world and yeah i love it number seven jack and the three blind archers essentially the titles are pretty straightforward the title pretty much gives away the greatest part of the episode yeah there's (laughs) three three archers at the top of a tower and they're guarding a well that jack could hopefully use to wish to be able to go home. And so in this episode, Jack hears about this from this guy who sent an entire army to try and conquer this tower and get to this well. And his entire army is completely destroyed by these three archers at the top of the tower. And so Jack, of course, being the epic level samurai that he is, he decides I can do this and I have to try because if I can get to this well, I can wish myself back to the past so I can defeat Aku before he gets this powerful. So he goes after this tower and let's just take a moment. Three archers defeating an entire army from one tower. That is setting up a very legendary, legendary group of archers this tower belongs in dnd campaigns mm-hmm. everywhere this like tower that's on an isolated island with three archers with a well that grants wishes but like these archers can defeat an entire army before they even reach the bottom of the tower like that's so awesome and so fantasy and so legendary right it's so cool but at the same time in the stories in people going there they have no idea that the actual archers are blind and i don't know did you notice neil when you watched samurai jack that the creator of samurai jack absolutely loves nursery rhymes there's so much nursery rhyme stuff in this show like these are obviously three blind mice like Mm, these creatures They're tall, three blind mice, and they're archers. So it's like this twisted version of three blind mice, and they do more on fairy tales and nursery rhymes later. But so Jack sees, he gets close enough, and he sees that these creatures are listening with their ears. And so he knows that they're blind, which in a D&D campaign, if you were able to figure that out, <laughs> a simple silence spell but would be the way to get around this, right? Just trigger it on yourself and just sneak up. Yeah, you're just like, oh, well, I solved it. I solved your puzzle. <laughs> yeah, but I think the the trick would be not to let your players know that that is what's going on unless they did some really, really good observing. And this would be something I would place in my world that it'd be introduced as a a place that is real, but nobody's ever been able to defeat it. And if my players at some point when they're epic level decided, I want to go and try this, that'd be like, okay. And I would have no problem with whatever my stats are that I created. If they decide to go after this legendary, well, that if they lose, then they lose because setting up legendary, crazy things like that in your world. And if your players decide as a side quest to go after it, that's up to them, man. (laughs) At your own risk. Exactly. At your own risk. Yeah, the only other thing that I pulled from it was, I think around like the, like right before Jack's going to go up, he essentially blindfolds himself and then does like the most extensive perception check I've ever seen in like a story. (laughs) So again, another. So how does, how does he eventually end up getting to this well? Does he, Neil? He does. Surprise. (laughs) Um, no, so he does by blindfolding himself and essentially making himself blind and then defeating them through that. 
he must fight them on their own level, mm-hmm. he says, which is just like, oh, man, this just shows the epic levelness of Jack, because to blind himself to be able to beat these things, it's like if one of my players did this with this legendary tower, I'd be like, all right, and you die <laughs> because they've been blind their entire life where you haven't. Yeah, you t- you've done it for the past five minutes. Good job. <laughs> but yeah, if I mean, it just sits there and he it's almost hard to describe without like watching it and writing down everything that happens. But his perception check is so far that he hears individual snowflakes as they land. So (laughs) it's a little over the top, but Uh, he he nat 20 to over and over again, those perception checks. He finally reaches this well and he makes the choice to destroy this well because once he beats these archers, it's revealed that they were just people who had reached this well and had made a wish to be the three greatest warriors. And so this well made them the three greatest warriors, but they were cursed to guard the well for their entire existence. So they tell him, careful when you make a wish, this well will have a cost. There is always a cost there's something else that it will make happen it will grant you your wish but something else will happen and so jack frustratingly destroys the well instead of wishing to go back in the past to fight aku because who would have known what terrible thing would come out of it and i like that i i like that magic comes at a price and i know i'm gonna i'm gonna pull a kneel and give a shout out but i know friar took one of the guys on our forums, he is very adamant about magic being costly. And this is absolutely a case where, yes, there is a well that you can get a wish from, but there's going to be a cost to the magic of that wish. It seems like this well in itself has a will of its own and wants to bend the wish to its own purpose. So I thought that'd be a really cool place in general. Like this whole episode, I'm like, I want to have a tower in my world with a well that has a cost to it with three blind archers that can destroy an army like this whole episode is fantastic for a DD campaign and and honestly even as somebody who had loved samurai jack growing up and had watched it like if somebody did that and put that into their world i would totally not have recognized it given a simple spin oh i see what you're saying yeah i mean it just like you said it just fits so well that like there's <laughs> well uh, look at me. <laughs> There's it was pretty much no way you couldn't watch this and not get something from it. Absolutely. Number eight, if you're ready, which was Jack versus Mad Jack. Essentially, the classic. Here's the evil version because that should do it, right? Yep. We get that in Link. We get that in Adventure Time. I know we've talked about both of those instances on the show before, but how does it happen in this episode that Jack fights Mad Jack, the evil version of Jack? Essentially, Aku decides if if you can't get something done, just do it yourself. So he creates an (laughs) evil clone of Jack because all the money he's put out and all the bounty hunters he's asked to go do it have failed. So why not just do it yourself? Yeah, and so he creates Jack out of, I think they say, out of the inner demons inside of Jack, like the anger inside of Jack and just all the negative Mm, feelings inside Jack. And so it literally is the dark side of Jack fighting Jack. And we've seen this before, like we said, but I like this version a lot because of how Mad Jack is defeated in the episode. Do you remember how he's defeated, Neil? Gosh, no. I pumped in too much Samurai Jack in one time. And (laughs) (laughs) so he defeats him in this episode by they're like going back and forth and they're both just screaming and Jack's little bun from both sides gets like cut. And so his hair's going crazy and they're just yelling at each other and attacking each other dealing blow for blow and it looks like there will be no victory and then jack realizes this creature this mad jack was created out of my inner demons and so in the very zen way that samurai jack seems to attack a lot of his enemies he says the way that i defeat you is by quieting my inner demons And he just kind of does a very zen, like puts his hands together, closes his eyes. Mad Jack gets super just ticked off and says, you can't defeat me that way. I will kill you and runs at him to attack him. And I think he lands a blow. And when he lands a blow, Mad Jack 
is destroyed because Jack takes the time. And while watching this, I totally had a flashback of spoiler of Star Wars Episode 7 coming up. Skip ahead 30 seconds of Rey when she connects with the Force with Kylo Ren. Like, that's exactly what I thought of when Samurai Jack just calms his inner demon and destroys magic. I thought that that would be great to put into a D&D campaign if your players really like to think outside the box like to introduce that classic like Neil said it's definitely a classic trope the dark side of your character but if you were to explain from the dark side of the character explaining it themselves that I am your dark side I am your inner demons like if you want to have especially like a a very like Asian fantasy kind of game where that Zen is coming a lot from to have that moment where the only way that you're actually going to be able to defeat this thing is by not fighting by not fighting with your dark side and becoming at peace with all of yourself. I like that a lot. I don't know how many player characters would die in that instinct because a lot of player characters would just keep swinging at it and swinging at it. But I think I would really like to see that put into a D&D campaign. Yeah, like you said, definitely, and like we always tend to say, definitely know your group. <laughs> um, yep, but it would, <laughs> yeah, if you have those the ones that are outside the box and kind of approach it from a different angle, mm-hmm. that would be a great way to do it. Where essentially the thing that's most likely going to do it is not the thing that actually does it. You know, you're not gonna just exactly. sit there and try and stab him. That's why in Zelda you always use the hammer. It's easy to defeat Link with the hammer. <laughs> Ha-ha. There you go. <laughs> Look Throwing, at you, give you, Giving you tips and tricks <laughs> for games that are over 15 years old. <laughs> <laughs> but still yes. awesome. So the next one is Nine. It was Jack Under the Sea. It's another one that we didn't get a lot from. So I think you should... Yeah, I think you should just go back and listen to all the Rich Howard episodes, and then you'll be good. There you go. So n- number 10 is Jack and the Lava Monster. What happened in that one? So in this episode, we see Jack. He's going across this plane, and he starts to see that this plane has been decimated. It's been destroyed, just like a lot of the world that he is now stuck in has been by a coup. And he starts to hear this voice calling from to him from a local, a local, from a near volcano. And so he goes into the volcano and basically he comes face to face with, and I definitely, when I was watching this episode, I thought of Zelda once again. And I thought of like the fire temple and the water temple and all those. And you always have this big boss battle at the end, but he gets in a battle with a giant lava monster, a flail wielding lava monster. And it's this a fantastic battle but the thing that i love about this episode is once again we get a zen victory because the lava monster is going to kill jack and jack just says i won't fight you and the lava monster like gets all upset and he's like no no you have to fight me <laughs> like you cannot fight me you need to fight me. I need to die in <laughs> battle there is a warrior's code and i love this because you find out that This lava monster was actually at one point a man, a Viking man who was cursed by Aku and put into this crystal. And basically he became inside of this volcano, this lava monster, this tortured monster. And, you know, you see this with like Greek mythology, a man does something to tick off the gods and they make him into a monster to do some deed of theirs to guard something. But in this scenario, we see this man who is actually a worthy, a worthy Viking warrior wants to go to Valhalla. The only way he can go to Valhalla is by dying in battle. And because of Aku, he was never allowed to do that. And so he's been stuck here forever. And now Samurai Jack could beat him and send him to Valhalla but the only way that that can happen is if this lava monster actually fights him and Samurai Jack fights back and actually defeats him with the warrior's code in a worthy battle. And that to me would be an awesome boss fight, like the boss fight where the creature that you're fighting is not actually a bad creature. In fact, <laughs> They're just a tortured soul. And you might get to the point where you find that out and you're like, I'm not going to kill you. You're not a bad guy. In fact, you're a good guy. You've just been tortured for long eons now because of this bad guy. And to have the boss be like, no, no, you must fight me. And this must be a worthy fight. Please, 
if you can strike me down, I wish to rejoin my family in Valhalla or whatever it is, whatever heaven it is that they would go to. Yeah, and then the scene where that actually happens would be a really cool way for you to describe the your players like I don't know, a lot of ways you could use it, like a cleric spell that you've used, like a raised dead or a healing spell or anything like yep. that, or if it happens, which it happens, if uh, one of your PCs <laughs> passes away and go, you know, and you're not going to have them resurrected, this could be a great like final scene for them. Yeah, absolutely. And we get that in the show too, right? We get like a scene where Jack does mm-hmm. defeat him and Jack gets a vision of chariots coming down to take this worthy soul as he dies, like the lava breaks and we see him become an old man and die in front of Jack. And that to me, I thought would be a great idea for a D&D campaign like if you have a paladin who dies, like who has been a very trusty, worthy, worthy paladin of their deity. What if like you gave the other characters a glimpse into the other world where you saw like angels coming down of that paladin's deity to bring him up into whatever heaven that he would ascend to. I feel like that would be an amazing, amazing way to kind of give homage to a death of a PC. Like you did such a great job playing this paladin or whatever class they are. Like if they are that kind of character that was following a, a deity and doing so, so well to be like, you are actually getting this moment where you're, we're playing through you being pulled up into heaven. And how would that affect the, PCs that actually keep on living like how does that change their character if they were a character who is say how would that change a neutral good character that wants the same kind of thing for himself how would that change a neutral evil character that's like oh gosh like that uh oh that's not good (laughs) like i've been being watched because i'm in this group with this other paladin and that's not good (laughs) especially what would happen if the death was because of another pc like oh that god's coming after me now all right i've made some mistakes (laughs) but i like that glimpse into the other world i think those moments as a dm should be few and far between unless your whole entire campaign is setting around that like to add to the this is a special moment i mean if you want to have every single time a pc dies have chariots come down but it's going to become very very normal it's going to come mundane super quick but if you use it once or twice it's going to be a really cool moment on to my favorite one not that it necessarily gives more inspiration than any of the other ones i just love it because <laughs> it is, it is the episode. start of a wonderful friendship between yep. a samurai and a scotsman and that's the name <laughs> of the episode jack and the scotsman it's not a, I'm not going to lie, not a lot happens in it, but it's such a good example of how you could add like an NPC that is causes a little bit of friction, but anyway, is there for the, the betterment of the party. I don't, I don't know. It's just such a great episode. I don't even What did you get from it? Well, you're right. It is so funny because the episode itself introduces probably my favorite Samurai Jack character like the scotsman is awesome at the same time the episode itself the enemies that we get in this episode are probably one of my least favorite enemies Mm -hmm. they're so doofy that i just i really don't enjoy them they're like these hillbilly like guys that like chase them and alligators and it's really goofy but i mean that's samar jack too you get awesome sequences and then you get goofy sequences but yeah the scotsman and jack meet on this bridge that these bridges are once again we get such a cool look into the world that Samurai Jack is inhabiting. Like, because they meet on this bridge that they've both been, you know, one of these rickety wooden bridges that they've both been traveling on, not for like 10 minutes, not for like a couple hours, but they've both been going on this bridge for like days, they say. And so they meet on this tiny bridge and the Scotsman is huge and they they butt heads because they're like, you go back all the way and then get off the bridge and I'll continue my way. No, you go back all all your way and I'll get off. They don't want to like move aside and like possibly like fall for the other character. So they end up like butting heads. And at first there are these two guys that just have like the Scotsman has a, a hot temper and he his hot temper makes Jack get angry and they both start to battle it out and they become at first glance enemies and they're fighting until they find out they they have two on both of their sides of the bridge there's two other enemies that start coming towards them that are trying to track them down because they both have they find out prices on their head because of a coup 
And it's it's a trope that has been used a lot in fiction, but the enemy of my enemy is my friend. But it's done so well in this episode that we see two characters from different ways of life brought together. They're handcuffed together, which has also <laughs> happened in <laughs> stories before. But it's just so awesome to see these two warriors have to fight together to fight off their enemies. And that would be great in a D&D campaign. Like to have all you need to do is have a bar fight start with a, 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 with a loud NPC character that wants to get in your player's way and wants to fight them for whatever reason. Maybe they took his booth and he's like, nobody sits in my booth, but me. And they get in a big fight. And then the guards of the evil tyrant overlord come and start to fight both of you. And you're like, Oh, this guy actually is on our side. And you kind of like turn that foe into a friend and you find out this guy who we fought with and almost killed one of our guys is actually really (laughs) awesome. And he becomes an NPC that you love for the rest of the time because of that. (laughs) the the other thing is to use like a common enemy to put your players together like if there's kind of some character conflict at the table a way to do it would be to have a common enemy between them and let that hopefully bond those characters together that's a great point i've played in so many campaigns where players are having a difficult time of why am i with this other playable player character like my player character and this player character have nothing in common in fact we're opposites we don't stand for the same things we don't like each other he's a jerk i'm a paladin whatever the heck it is they don't get along and i've seen a lot of players be frustrated because they're not exactly sure how they're supposed to try and make this these two be in a group together and to and like you said to introduce a villain that makes them want to be together whether like this villain has done something to both of their families or just starts to chase them both down for whatever reason that can bring two people who wouldn't normally hang out together together united under a common cause mm-hmm. right so number 12 is jack and the gangsters uh essentially it's like jack falls into dick tracy or goodfellas and <laughs> again it's another one that's difficult to get fantasy stuff out of so mitch and i didn't really come up with a lot for this one either that being said i will say in this episode you you saw this in the episode with the three blind archers and the love of nursery rhymes did you notice there's definitely a love for snow white and the seven dwarfs Mm -hmm. in this one Mm -hmm. because the mobsters themselves are not they're not seven dwarfs i think they're like five dwarfs but they're and they're not dwarves as in we think of dwarves as in hairy, big bearded dwarves. They're just really small people. They're little people. They're dwarves. But did you notice that the singer at the beginning in this like club is Lily White? I was like, uh, oh, it's totally a play mm-hmm. on Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. So you're right. <laughs> Both of us, once again, not an episode that we really like that much. Not an episode we gleaned a lot from. But I thought that was interesting to note. And then, speaking of interesting, the the one to close out, episode 13, final one for season one, is Aku's Fairy Tales. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's awesome. Another bring back of fairy tales, and like <laughs> the creator definitely loves them. So we open up this episode, and we open up with children. One of them is playing as Jack, and one of them is playing as Aku, and I believe the rest of them are either dressed as, like, we want to take a turn as Jack, or they're dressed as, like, people who, like, Aku oppresses, and so they're playing this game, like, out on the street, and Jack is beating up on this kid who's got hair just like Aku, so he always has Mm -hmm. to play Aku, and honestly... What I thought was awesome about this is I was like, man, wouldn't it be awesome for your players when they are traveling through a city that they have done something renowned from or the city has gotten word of their awesome deeds? Wouldn't it be great to see little children dressed up as their characters playing as their characters and pretending to be their their warrior, the wizard, whatever it is of the group? And to like play through something that some adventure that they've gone and they see this and what happens when those children who are playing as those characters see them like to run up to them. And I think that would be a fantastic moment 
for you as a DM to throw in to just give your players like a little pat on the back and be like, well done, you guys, you're you're being noticed. And that just makes your players just fall in love with those kids and they're just going to have a great moment. You'll see it on their their faces. They will be so happy if you were to do something like that. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think it'd also be fun to have like an exaggerated version that they retell rather than just like the straightforward mm-hmm. version. Oh, yeah. Like, completely ridiculous <laughs> over the top not at all how it happened <laughs> absolutely i remember in one of the campaigns that i played the one with stomp if you remember hearing stories about jofio the asimar who would write stories he wrote a play about and this is a player doing it for his own group but he wrote a play about their adventures and then put a lot of money into putting it on (laughs) for the city and he did it basically the story was told from his perspective so like the characters that he didn't like in the story were even more so just big jerks and the characters that he liked were awesome and everything that he had done was like such an amazing thing in this play but you could do that too i remember Balfour's the paladin who was played of course by paladin caleb he would go and tell his stories to a bard in a local tavern and so i as the dm i actually wrote poetry and songs as this bard and i would have them come back to town and i'd tell them how this bard was standing up on a stage and he was reciting the tales of Balfour the bofo the paladin and would just recite this long story about how Balfour defeated this cave of gnolls or whatever it was and i know that paladin caleb to this day loved those moments and they were just awesome for his character yeah that's what i was gonna say too is to you know you have the kid version then the adult would be just like you go somewhere and you overhear it or like you, yep. you're just your example right now just perfect ways of you know letting your players know it's not you're not just doing this idly like the world sees what you're doing yeah exactly it's that you you are spreading your reputation <laughs> and it could go the other way as well right like if they did something evil they could be being played by those kids as like the evil guy and they could have heroes coming along and beating up their evil character. It could go the other way if you could hear a bard reciting a tale about your evil character and how much of a jerk he is. <laughs> like it could totally go the other way too. Yes. <laughs> Wanted signs, posters, graffiti, <laughs> all of it. Yes, all of it. <laughs> like even a wanted sign with graffiti because people have drawn like devil horns onto your your character because yes. they hate him so much. And like the mustache, the devil horns and the classic mustache. That'd be great. <laughs> Another thing I liked from this episode was that Aku, after seeing these kids doing this, he tried to tell them stories that made him seem like the hero. And I like that idea of like, If you play in a world, especially like in a country or an empire or whatever it is, where the leader of this country or empire is a villainous tyrant, I like the idea that maybe he has paid bards a high amount to tell stories in his honor and make him out to be a good guy. He wants to spread stories. Maybe they're stories of another character in the world that he has replaced them in these stories because he wants everybody to think he's the guy who did these awesome things and that everybody should be paying homage to him because he's so great yeah just a interesting final note that i have is that jack never actually appears in this episode yeah (laughs) nope he doesn't he appears in the stories but and i love how when aku is telling stories about jack like terrible stories about jack he's got like a huge nose in it too (laughs) they just make him look even more just messed up and that's a good point too even like a tyrant who's an evil tyrant might not even be spreading tales about himself as a good character but might just be spreading tales about the pcs that they're bad characters but anyway That's all we have for you today on this episode. We hope that you have enjoyed this discussion, this look at season one of Samurai Jack. Such a great show, Neil. And if they would like to get in touch with us at the show and email us, Neil, and talk to us about their love of Samurai Jack, maybe they want to talk about season one, two, three, four, maybe the upcoming season, or maybe just something other D&D related, where can they get in touch with us at, Neil? Yes, if they want to get in touch with us using more than 140 characters. Although I've heard tell that they're going to bump that to like 10,000. What? Really? Yeah, that's a mm-hmm, which I think is 
Hopefully that's untrue. But for now, you can use DungeonMasterBlock at gmail.com to send us anything that would not fit in a Twitter message. If you liked what you heard and want to potentially get a shout out on an episode in the future, you can go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMs block. And you can like our Facebook page. Both of those places have updates about the show, D&D memes, and all around awesome role-playing game things. We have a Patreon member shout out of the week and this week's patreon member shout out goes to nate hastings Hastings. thank you so much for your support nate we really appreciate it nate is a silver dragon so he is making his way to the forums he is enjoying some awesome bonus pods and we just want to say thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts nate You are awesome. Yes, thank you. Well, with that, it is time to put our magical katanas from our father back into our sheaths, and we will walk off into the sunset. For this is the end of this episode of The Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God... Killing characters. And lowering the egos of all other people at the table. Thanks for listening. Keep on dungeon mastering. Watch out. Goodbye.